You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. What's up, guys? Welcome into Good Morning Lambo. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. You can email us, PackersTotalAccess at gmail.com. You can text us, 865-658-5824. Uh, good morning to everyone out there. I know the chat's already lit up. Sorry we didn't do a show last night. We had some family festivities planned there on the holidays, so we're back at it. Uh, the goal is to get back home this evening and uh, and get set up for PTA Live back in the studio and potentially do a chalk talk, <laughs> trying to fit everything in. The cool thing about this chalk talk, there was only like 10 plays um, that were really crucial in the game, right? And you guys know we can find we can find a ton of highlights, right, and and hit on all of them and, and every little throw. I like to key in on what we call the game flow, right, that aspect of the game where you know exactly what plays really played a huge role in the game. Not that any one play isn't important, but there are definitely certain plays that are more important than others. Sometimes we end up with somewhere around 15 or 17, and I can't do anything about it. This week, it was real easy to just go, yeah, I feel good about these 10, right? So um, it's just one of those games where Green Bay absolutely ran away with it. It's going to be a lot of offensive highlights. There's going to be several defensive as well, which it's going really, really understated. That Corey Ballantyne um, interception there in the first quarter really set the stage for the entire night. That game could have went totally different. And you could just tell that the offense was playing with so much confidence after that play. It was just, okay, they've got our back. Let's just go down and score points, right? To the point that LaFleur was being a little bit aggressive, right? You guys know what? 99% of the time I'm disagreeing with going for it on fourth down. I'm a very boring fan. I'm like, hey, take the points when you can get them. There's been too many games that you you pop up at the end there in the fourth quarter and you're down by one, you're down by two points, right? So that's kind of how I look at it. The analytics lean in the other direction, and I think the majority of the fans lean in the other direction too. So I'm definitely in the minority there, but that's just kind of how 
how I look at it there. But <clears throat> let's see here. Let's go to the chat real quick. Omer says, WTF, is Royce Newman still on this team? Is he on the? Why is he on the field at all? Uh, I don't care if the Packers are up by 100. This guy needs to be chained to the bench. Uh, only man with a bad grade on the O-line uh, week 17. We're going to look at the PFF grades. That's the goal of this this uh, podcast here. But, yeah, Royce Newman, um, it's just wild to me, man. Uh, Omer, a couple years ago, you know, Aaron was kind of praising him, and he was playing pretty good. It was like, okay, Royce is – like he, he was never like good, you know what I mean? But he was above average, I think we would all agree. In the last two years, it seems like going into Aaron's last year, he underperformed. And then, of course, this year he's underperforming. So it's like, I don't know. I guess we just seen the ceiling kind of high or kind of early with Royce. And now he's we're, we're seeing that baseline, which I agree is just not good enough for sure. Uh, Doug says, good morning, Posse. Uh, those of you who follow this channel on X, did you see the food porn Clayton tweeted last night? Yeah, we went out to a, a steakhouse here in chat, and uh, my first time being at a Ruth's Chris. Um, it was good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I, people build it up to where there's no way it can meet its expectations, right? And when you're when you're someone like me and many people that watch this channel, many many of the hosts on this channel or on this this podcast network, Packernet Podcast Network. Um, we do a lot of uh, a lot of cooking ourselves. It's kind of a hobby of ours, right? You know, smoking, using the smoker, and uh, and, and grilling, and all that good stuff. We're always sharing ideas back and forth um, to the point that people probably get tired of hearing us talk about it. So when I go to a steakhouse, I'm expecting perfection, right? And it's not that I would complain or anything. The food was great. It's just people built that place up. Ruth's Chris is like this. Whoa, this place is unbelievable. The prices were unbelievable, no doubt about it, right? And you know me, I had to go get the uh, the bone-in ribeye, right? The the prosiest thing on the menu just to just to get the experience. It was good. It was good. Don't get me wrong. And listen, if Ruth's Chris wants to sponsor this show, hey, it was the best steakhouse I've ever had. <laughs> but no, it's uh, it was good. It was just good. Uh, like I said, I think it was unfair for people to build it up the way they have. Um, it, there's no way it could have met the expectations that I've heard, right? But uh, uh, Doug said, scuttlebutt of the day, Joe Barry got a game ball. I think that's a cool thing, though. Um, you know, it sounded like uh, I was hearing chatter. I could be wrong, but um, I was hearing chatter that they didn't present it in front of the team, which I thought was kind of weird. If that's true, I don't know if that's true or not. Just like the nachos, people were saying that a fan hit them with nachos a couple weeks ago. Pretty sure that was fake news, too. Um, you got a lot of that going around. Um, everybody wants to get the clicks, right? They want to get the interaction. What's crazy is football is good enough. You don't have to lie to get the interaction. You really don't. Um, it's, it's that popular uh, across uh, social media. But M. Smitty, uh, 1386 in the chat says, Morning PTA Posse. Wanted to shout out how amazing this group is and what a lifesaver it was to have for a 19-hour road trip during the holidays. Great Packers content. Hey, M. Smitty, we appreciate you uh, making us part of your road trip, man. Um, love everybody who's involved here, man. All the, all the people that jump on the co-hosts and, and, uh, the, the fans in the chat, it is a really cool community. No doubt about it, man. I'm excited to see where it goes moving forward. I just want to, I wanted to keep that smallness, you know, and, uh, some of the live streams, I think we've hit 300 on a live stream, 300 people watching live at one point. And it's like, man, it's going to be hard to keep everybody involved. Um, I'd like to branch it off too. We got some, we got some ideas in the works to where this is going to be kind of a YouTube network and um, we'll have multiple shows uh, where I don't have to do every show, you know? So we'll, uh, we'll see what we can put together for sure, but uh, we're not going anywhere. I know that. Um, all right, let's do this guys. Let's look at the PFF grades real quick. Uh, you know, PFF, 
is one of those things. Actually, before we get to the PFF grade, I've got a couple screen grabs I want to show you guys. Let's do this before we get to the PFF grade. I'm going to go ahead and kill my camera. That might help with the feed, too. I'm showing a little bit of a bad connection. Uh, I can't wait to get back home and get, get locked back into, you know, solid ground with the Internet so we can actually get this thing, uh, keep this thing from glitching out on you guys. But as the printer just magically cuts on in this office, I'm in. All right. Okay. It ain't Halloween. Get the spooks out of here. So uh, this is the the screen grab that Sunday Night Football does every week. It's called the winner. I think it's called the Winners Club, if I remember correctly. And they take one player that kind of balled out and put them. <laughs> I apologize for that noise. And put them on this screen grab, which I think is really cool. It's almost like a club setting. And uh, as it as they do that every week. You see Jordan Love from earlier in the year right there in the middle sitting on the couch. We showed this same uh, screen grab when that happened before. And uh, you can see him kind of sitting on the couch between Joe Burrow. I can't, remember, I can't see who the other guy is. Now on the upper right, you've got Aaron Jones, um, which just absolutely balled out, had 120 yards rush, and he was just phenomenal in that Sunday night matchup against the Vikings. And uh, this is mind-boggling that this printer just cranked up and decided to print a bunch of documents from my brother-in-law <laughs> unbelievable has it cut on the entire time we've been here all right it's done maybe maybe not so i thought it was cool just to show that like i said aaron jones a member of the winners club now let's look at the playoff pitcher when we look at the playoff pitcher you've got san francisco 49ers in the one seed right now green bay sits in the seven seed they're scheduled to go play at dallas um, dallas being the two seed so You've got the L.A. Rams as a sixth seed scheduled to go play at Detroit as the third seed. And then Philly as the fifth seed scheduled to go to Tampa Bay, um, who is the fourth seed. So that's kind of how the playoffs look right now. We'll see if that holds up. Obviously, the Packers have got to win on Sunday, guys. It's a, it sounds silly to, to even say this is a huge game. This is the season, right? This is a playoff game, just like this game a couple of days ago was a playoff game, right? So – you, you want to keep this thing going, you got to win out. And uh, I think it says a lot about this team, that they're performing under pressure, right? They're, they're continuing to perform under pressure. And, you know, it's kind of the M.O. of the Packers here of recent recent history is the games you're expecting them to win, they'll lose a few of those a, a year, but then you'll have a few games that you don't expect them to win that they just come out and absolutely ball out, right? I mean, they just it's just amazing. Detroit on Thanksgiving Day, you know, I remember sitting down to eat Thanksgiving uh, dinner there, lunch, early lunch, whatever you want to call it, and thinking, man, this could get ugly quick, right? Just the way they were playing. They balled out, <laughs> right? Christmas Eve, same thing, right? Same exact thing on Christmas Eve. There you're, you know, it's like, okay, you're on national television. I know it's I know it's the Carolina Panthers, whatever, but the offense scoring 33 points, right? And then you had, of course, can't let's back up another step, Kansas City, the Kansas City game. Nobody was expecting them to win. We were six point on underdogs, if I remember correctly. So and then you come out the next week and you're favorites and you drop that one right that's that's the inconsistent we, we in, inconsistency we talk about with a young team right we talk about it every year that's that's the knock on a young team very high highs very low lows right in carolina's case just a bunch of low lows right so um i don't know i, I just i appreciate how this team's built and how they perform and how it's it, you're constantly in the game that's the thing that that we can't i don't know we just can't brush to the side it's very rare the packers get boat raced right and as a fan base, I appreciate that because you watch some of these games on Sunday and it's like, whoa, they got killed, right? So, I don't know. I just – I appreciate how this team is always built to compete. And I know some people are like, it's all about championships. I got you. I completely agree. But if 
I have a hard time answering the question when people ask this, and it gets, seems like it gets brought up every year, a couple times a year. It's like, okay, would you rather have a team that's crappy for five years and wins a Super Bowl that one year and then goes back to being crappy for five years, meaning, you know, three, four wins a year? Or would you rather have a team that's consistently winning, you know, 10 to 12 games but doesn't get a championship? I feel like I'm a fake fan if I if I say I'm okay with winning without a championship, but at the same time, man, that would be a miserable five years, wouldn't it? It's just silly. I know it's it's a, it's a question that probably doesn't even matter, but it gets brought up every year, and I'm like, I struggle to answer it. I really do. Uh, but it's all about championships in Green Bay. That's why it's called Title Town. Um, let's look at the PFF grades weekly, okay, just to give you a quick recap of how the team has performed weekly. All right, starting with week one, overall team team PFF grades. 65.7, Okay. So through week eight, um, let's go to week nine since that's a halfway point. Week nine is 81.5. So in the first half of the season, what you essentially have as a floor is 63.3 and your ceiling is 81.5, right? But there's a lot of inconsistency there. I think we would all agree the majority of the first half of the season, we were closer to the low of 63.3 than we were the high of 81.5, right? Now we get into the second half of the season, starting in week 10, 69.5, 62.7. So you got a new all-time low there against the Chargers. It's crazy you end up winning that game too, right? Um, that says a lot about the coaching staff. Because to me, when I look at PFF grades, this is this is a grade of how the players perform. That's my personal opinion. Now you could say it's on the coaches to get them prepared. I completely understand. I completely agree. But – I look at this more as this is the players. So when you've got a low PFF grade, like 62.7 as a team, and you still get the win, probably says the coaching staff did a good job managing that game, right? Um, so, again, week 10, 69.5, 62.7, the new low, 74.2, 81.0, 62.9, 62.1, a new low, and then Carolina Panthers, 59.0, a new low on the season. And then you bounce back against Minnesota at 82.5. Now, what's interesting about that, <clears throat> the Carolina game, was your new all-time low grade from a player standpoint, 59.0, and you still won the game. You got to tip your cap to the coaches for somehow, some way pulling that one out. That's just my opinion. Mainly Matt LaFleur because we know the defense crapped the bed there in Carolina. There's no two ways about it. That was the new low. But then, of course, you come out against Minnesota, like I said, 82.5. Five and you hit your highest grade. So in the second half of the season, essentially what you've got is a new all-time low of 59.0 and a new all-time high of 82.5. So uh, luckily there in the second half, you know, you, you've seen the majority of it in the 60s, but you did get one in the 70s, two in the 80s, right? So uh, I think it's it's really, really easy to look at the second half of the season and go, you know what, they, they performed better than they did in the first half. Um, it's just putting it together on a consistent basis. It's what Greg Cosell said about Jordan Love, and the same thing applies to a team, is, you know, the question is, he going to be able to put this together? Is he going to be able to be the same quarterback and be consistent no matter what's going on around him week in and week out? It's the same type of question when it comes to the team, right? You, you What you want to see is you want to get that team in the upper 60s consistently. You want to take baby steps, incremental steps in improving this team as you go along, right? That's the uh, – that's – to me, that's kind of how I look at that. It's all about consistency, right? And uh, that's where I think the coaches have failed to a certain extent is the the players just aren't consistently ready to play. I don't see a problem with the scheme. 
The running scheme was what I had an issue with in the first half of the season. Never at any point this year did I have a problem with the defensive scheme. It's like, okay, I see why they called it there, but the players weren't executing. Again, that still falls on Joe Barry and getting them prepared, and, and especially the position coaches, which is something that we haven't talked about at all. Um, let's move on to offense now. So this is the offense PFF grades, okay, for the game there against the Vikings um, on New Year's Eve, all right? Right at the top of the list with only 23 snaps because he left with the injury. I think they were just trying to protect him, to be honest with you. <clears throat> I think they said the MRI came back or the uh, X-ray come back negative. So we should find out some information. Let's see. Today is – I don't even know what today is. What is today? Tuesday? Where's my phone at? Yeah, Tuesday. So we'll find out a, a lot more details tomorrow. But Jaden Reed, 92.7. I'm going to say it again. 92.7 PFF grade for Jaden Reed, rookie. Unbelievable. That was his best game. By four. Up next, Jordan Love at a 90.8. I'm almost 100% sure that's his highest graded game of his career. Remember last year against the Eagles? He only played a half, and he graded out like a 78.2 or 78.7, whatever it was. And it's like, man, if that's the Jordan Love we're getting, holy cow, we got us something, right? Look at this, 90.8. He was just on, man. He was on. There were very few throws that I was like, ah, he missed that one. And, and when he did miss, it kind of felt like he was trying to protect the receiver, which is what we've been wanting, right, because of how, you know, the he, he's thrown some hospital balls this year. That's been one of the knocks on him, right? That's how you got Dontavian Wicks hurt. That's how you got Jaden Reed hurt. You got Christian Watson hurt earlier in the year. I'm not suggesting Jordan's doing it on purpose, obviously. And those players aren't looking up like, he got me hurt. I'm just saying when, when you don't protect the wide receivers, they're going to play a little skittish too but also you're going to get riddled with injuries. So it's what the great quarterbacks were able to do. And you see in this game, Jordan Love kind of did that. There were several times that I felt like, man, he put that one around the money. Yeah, there you go. Keep it, keep them out of harm's way, right? And, of course, he had the touchdown run too, which was awesome. The big story of the day outside of Jordan Love and Jaden Reed was Bo Melton. Bo Melton got a season-high 49 snaps, okay? 89.5 was his PFF grade. And if I understood correctly today, they put Samori Torre on injured reserve and Bo Melton has been signed to the active roster, if I understood that correctly. I believe it was Bo Melton. Sometimes I get him and Malik Heath uh, confused. But if you guys know that for sure, let me know in the chat, okay? Um, I'm pretty sure it was Bo Melton that they signed to the active roster. I think it was actually Aaron Negler that tweeted it out. Let me uh, let me look real quick. I, that way you, you guys don't have to look, just to make sure. I'm not telling you all wrong. I want to get this right here. Give me just one second. Let's see. I know he tweeted it here recently. Yeah, Packers announced they have signed Bo Melton to the active roster and placed wide receiver Samoy Torre on injured reserve. Uh, that was his last call-up. So if you send him back down, you know, you've got three elevations per season. So they they wanted to sign him to the active roster, obviously. Coming in fourth, Aaron Jones with his best – I believe that's his best grade of the year. He might have graded higher in week one, but definitely his best performance since week one. 83.6 for Aaron Jones. He's completely back. He looks healthy. A.J. Dillon with the broken thumb and also the banged-up shoulder, 78.6. Sean Clifford, look at our boy Sean Clifford coming in with eight snaps, only one pass, 78.4. Everybody calm down. Calm down, okay? <laughs> it's just one pass. I'm not I'm not that guy, all right? So we're good. We're good here. Sean Clifford, though, did his job when he came, up, came in as a backup role there in the mop-up time, right? Um, Zach Tom, 66 snaps, played the whole game, 77.2, great performance. Patrick Taylor, 20 snaps, 69.4. Ben Sims, 67.9 on 41 snaps. Ben Sims looking a little bit like a gym, you know. It sucks for Josiah Aguara because 
these tight ends are are performing so well that it really does shine that light of mediocrity onto one of the team leaders in Josiah DeGuara. You know, you heard Tucker Craft praise him about him helping with his development and everything earlier in the year. But, man, if you see it, you got to say it. Josiah DeGuara just hasn't performed on the field. Although recovering that punt last week, whoo, or I'm sorry, that fumble last week, man, that was huge. It probably saved you the game, to be honest with you. Uh, right behind Ben Sims, Tucker Craft, 64.7, uh, played 61 snaps. First, let's look at the negative. Pass blocking, 48.7. Run blocking, 49.0. In the passing game, though, being a receiver, essentially, 77.2. If he can improve that run blocking slightly, right? Pass blocking, I'm not that concerned about, to be honest with you. You don't bring a tight end to pass block. Like, you don't you don't draft a tight end to pass block. You draft them to be a target in the, in the passing game first and run blocking second, in my opinion. If there's a situation where you're like, we've got to run right here, the defense knows we've got to run right here, you're pulling that tight end out and putting a U70 in there, right, if at all possible, an extra offensive lineman. So if it were the other way around, then you'd say, okay, they put more emphasis on run blocking to pass catching. Tucker Craft, man, he's been a pleasant surprise. 64.7. I guess some other stats we'll hit on with him later if we get if we have time. If not, we'll hit on it on tonight's pod. But next you got Sean Ryan, 64.4. I, I know, I know Omer was kind of uh kind of hard on um uh Royce Newman, but when you look at Sean Ryan, 39 snaps, 64.4. People are going to Clayton, that's still low. I, I get it. I get it. It's, you're in the yellow there, but Man, compared to what we were dealing with with John Runyon all year, John Runyon got 42 snaps, okay? Sean Ryan got 39 snaps. John Runyon graded out as a 53.6. Sean Ryan graded out as a 64.4. It feels like the further we go along, third-round pick Sean Ryan is starting to win that right guard spot, in my opinion. I hope that holds to be true um, because, obviously, he's under contract longer than John Runyon is. Rasheed Walker at left tackle, 59.0, not a good not a good day at all. Romeo Dobbs, 56 snaps, graded out of the 58.8. Malik Heath, 58.5. Samori Torre, 57.5. Elton Jenkins had a bad day, 54.4. And uh, I want to give a shout-out to Justin from Packernet Podcast. He actually – uh, text me this morning. I woke up to a text. I said, hey, did you see this? Um, Elton Jenkins left the game there late in the game, and he got rolled up on. I didn't even realize it. So uh, he's battling a, a, a new knee injury there. Hopefully that's not serious at all. Hopefully it was just a precautionary, hey, he got rolled up on. Let's get him out of here before something happens. Let's hope that's the case. But I'm sure we'll hear, hear more information on that as we move forward. Um, you've got Josiah DeGuara. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited 
about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm sorry, John Runyon, like I said, grading out of 53.6. Josiah Aguara, only 11 snaps, but a 51.1. It's just a – man, it's so ugly. It sucks. Uh, yeah, it sucks to see such a great guy underperforming. Uh, Yash Nyman – uh, a 49.1 Royce Newman, 43.9. Of course, he only played eight snaps, but still, it's just horrible. This is the big kicker, guys, and we've got to address it this year. we got to address it. Uh, the experiment's over, man. Josh Myers at center played all 71 snaps, 37.4. 37.4. And people go, well, what's his pass blocking grade, Clayton? They've said it all year long. What's his pass blocking grade? Because he's a good pass blocker. Okay, there's two facets to play an offensive line, right? Like, that would be like saying, well, a, re- a receiver's got a good catching grade, but his route running grade being – oh, I don't know, to the tune of 9.7. That was his pass blocking grade this year, or this this week's, rather, Josh Myers. 9.7, not 90.7, not 59.7, a 9.7. He was horrible at pass blocking in this game against the Vikings. We've got to address it. Imagine how much better this offense could be, how much more stable it could be. Now, I'm not saying go cut Josh Myers. He's a second-round pick. Next year may be the year he turns it on. We say that every year, but maybe next year is the year he turns it on. I'm just saying you, you've you got to bring in competition. You've got to tra- – it's that important of a position. In my opinion, it's a position at Tier 2 level of importance. The only two positions that are more important than center on offense, in my opinion, is left tackle and quarterback. Then it goes to center, then every other position. Some would say, what about receiver? Receivers are close – close to to uh, to kind of jumping into that that second tier. But look at what this offense is doing without a true number one wide receiver. I say true number one with in quotations because look at what we're putting together with second round picks and what fourth fourth or fifth round picks and Dontavian Wicks and Romeo Dobbs being a late round pick last year, right? Um, but center, it's like I'm not I'm not asking for the best center in the game. I'm just asking for a top 10 center. And and the people that have argued with me over this all year long, they keep coming back going, all we're concerned about is pass blocking. He's top 10 in pass blocking. He sure wasn't yesterday, man. And he and he hasn't been all year long. There's occasions it's like, okay, good game, good game. And we call it out when we see it. But 
when I asked Mike Wall about it, I mean, he was pretty straight up. He said, Clayton, Josh Myers is an average offensive lineman. That's what he said. And some are going, okay, well, that's that's better than below average. I got you. The problem with that, though, is you drafted him in the second round. And it's a, it's a position that's way more important than for you to just kind of go, eh, he's average. You, you, you've got to try to upgrade that. And like I said, when I asked Mike, Mike about, I think it was two weeks ago, hey, what's the offensive line? How do you see this offensive line? He basically said 74 at left guard and 70 at right tackles, ACTOM. You're good to go. Everyone else is replaceable. That's what he said. Didn't He didn't say go replace them, but he's saying you can upgrade there pretty easy. So that kind of tells us all we need to hear, right? Um, I'm going to try to uh, try to get back to the chat here in a second. I want to get through these PFF grades like the title entails so I don't get chewed out by certain listeners. So <laughs> on the defensive side, all right, um, this was a fun one to watch on defense, man. They really showed up. People immediately go, it's a third-string quarterback. I got you. I know. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> but it's funny how all week long those same people that are saying it's a third-string quarterback were going, watch, Jaron Hall is going to have his best game of his career. Watch. They're Joe Barry's going to make him look like an MVP. Watch. Everybody said it all week long. Those people are completely quiet now. And then when they do speak up, it's, he's a third-string quarterback. Who cares? Okay. Well, I care. We won the game, and the defense was a probably the reason that we won the game, to be honest with you. Should have held them to three points if Torrey hadn't muffed that punt. So, uh, which, by the way, with Torrey's injury and him going on injured reserve, it kind of leads you to believe it's one of those Belichickian. They called it the Belichick flu in, in New England. When it got to the point where they wanted to keep someone on the roster or they wanted to, they wanted to have him be a part of your future, but you didn't want to have him active right now. I'm not suggesting the Packers did this, but it's pretty common across the league. All of a sudden they have a minor injury that pops up and you go, okay, you're going on injured reserve the rest of the year. We'll bring you back next year to camp and give you another shot. Player's not going to argue with that. That obviously it works out better for the roster, the roster builders too, right? The, the front office. So I don't know. It's just kind of that kind of popped in my mind when I looked at it that way. So uh top of the at the top of the hill on defense, though, Preston Smith, only 29 snaps, but 90.3 at a 90.2 pass rush grade was phenomenal. The strip sack, that's one of the plays that made the cut in chalk talk. I'm excited about breaking that one down. Uh Isaiah McDuffie came in for only 15 snaps before he left with what I thought was a concussion. But before he left, 87.1. Now, I'm going to jump down. Quay Walker, 64.5. And that's with a sack, guys. His pass rush grade was a 69.4, okay? So, with with Quay Walker, even with that, that you know, pass rush grade of 69.4 with a sack, a 64.5 as an overall grade, Isaiah McDuffie, 87.1. Let's rewind to what Mike Wall said several weeks ago. What did he say? It's time to put McDuffie in. This isn't working. He wasn't just talking about Dre being hurt and playing, you know, kind of being forced to play slow, but he was always also talking about Quay. I know people got excited about Quay, and, and you know, the part that bothers me about people going, we need to use Quay that way. That's what he's good at. I got you, but you can't do it every play. If you do it every play, then you're basically committing to rushing five, you know, 100% of the time or 80% of the time. Guys, defenses are going to pick that apart. The reason that works when it works is because you're being a little bit deceptive. Maybe you're not sugar in that A gap and you fire a little delay blitz, a dog blitz, right? Or a green or a green dog blitz if they're keeping the running back in. In that case, it was just a fire, to the best of my knowledge. I've got it on keyed up for chalk talk too. I've got it in my notes, but I haven't broke the play down extensively. Um, to me, it looked like it was just one of those things where they were just trying to fire the the Sam, 
right? Or the wheel. I, I got to look and see where his exact positioning was in the in the nickel. Some people don't even like to call it Sam and Will in the nickel. I do. I think it's important to identify are they on the tight end side or not. I think those things matter. But um, nonetheless, Isaiah McDuffie, man, we get him back from concussion protocol. I just I want to see him play more, man, because that's how it's been most of the year. I mean, he's had he's had downtimes too, yes, but. I mean, when did when have we seen Dre and Quay grade out as an 87 this year? I don't know if it's happened one time, and they've gotten a ton of opportunities, right? Again, I know it's 15 snaps, but he was playing like his hair was on fire, man. TJ Slayton, only 17 snaps. We knew he was banged up. There was a chance he wouldn't play, so they probably limited his snaps a bit. But uh, TJ Slayton, 17 snaps, 83.5. He showed up to play. Someone was asking on the postgame show, or maybe it was yesterday on Good Morning Lambo, how did Jonathan Owens do? I said, I don't remember – hearing his name or calling his name out myself. So he probably had a decent game. That's usually a good sign for a safety, right? Um, 53 snaps, 75.6. If he grades out in the 70s again somehow, some way in week 18, you got to look at maybe bringing him back to set that floor in the safety room, right? Um, I'm still not there on Savage. Savage grading out 56.7. He's right back. I mean, tackle grade 26.3. The only the only role Savage should have in this defense is to play the slot, in my opinion. Um, and I, I'd like to see him play there more. Although you know, uh, Keyshawn Nixon had one of his better games at a seventy two point three, uh, so you got to kind of take that into consideration too. But Savage is just like, I don't I don't want to dog on a player. I don't want to, you know, single anyone out. You know what I mean? Because it's. I just don't like that. I don't like it when people are, hey, fire him, cut him, you know. I, I don't want to be that kind of fan. Um, there's plenty of pod- – if, if that bothers you, there's plenty of other podcasts that do that. You, you want, you'll you have no 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 problem finding, finding content where people do that. But I've said for three years now, man, Savage just ain't, ain't the guy, man. He's not. It's like, well, look at what he did in Pettin's defense. I got you. But that was also just one year, right? I think he had one good year and one – I guess decent year, and every ever since then, it's just been. I mean, he he and Jonathan Owens graded out as the two worst safeties in the league last year, if I remember correctly, according to PFF. Right? You see, Jonathan Owens taking a step occasionally this year and making a couple big plays. Savage staying in the tub, you know, he he stays banged up, and I, I understand that's not his fault. But when he is on the field, he just keeps underperforming. I just like to allocate that seven point nine or seven point seven million dollars in cap hit that they got with the fifth year option with Savage somewhere else. That's just kind of the way I see that. But uh, also in fifth place, granted, there's only two snaps, uh, seventy three point four for Anthony Johnson Jr. To me, you got to throw that out. You know, two snaps is is nothing. Um, he's shown us all year long. His his ceiling has kind of been in the sixties. His floor has been some in some cases, I believe, in the forties. Right maybe even the 30s. So there's no reason to believe AJJ is the guy right now, although you're going to have him under contract. He will be back next year. There's no two ways about that. Um, Rashawn Gary had a little bit of a bounce-back game, 73.1. Run defense is what I was excited about, 77.7. Pass rush grade dipped to 59.8. Tackle grade 73.3. What's that tell you about the game plan? Kind of felt like here lately, and I said this. Someone tweeted at me, what do you think about Rashawn Gary's mid-play here of lately? When you look at the style of defense they're playing right now, you know, with the exception of the Giants game, to me it looks like he's he's kind of playing that role of, uh, yeah, you want to go after the quarterback, but you protect the run on your way to the quarterback, right? So it's like it's not a key focus right now. That run defense grade gets me excited. And 73.1 is big for him because the last couple of games he struggled. So uh, I, I just want to continue to see him 
build on that. I know this, when we were in the playoffs a couple years ago when San Francisco beat us in the snow at Lambeau, and um, I think it was NFC Championship, if I remember correctly, and we uh, we only gave up three points as a defense in that game. When we needed to play, that man turned it on. Rashawn Gary was relentless, and he was the reason we should have won that game. Obviously, the block punt return for a touchdown, that was the the difference in the game there, in my opinion. But uh, Corey Ballantyne, pretty good day at the office, 72.4. 72.4 for Corey Ballantyne. Um, to me, that's very exciting. He uh, He's one of those guys, just like Carrington Ballantyne, who he had a bad game, Carrington Ballantyne, 51.9. But there were so many times that you've seen them test Corey Ballantyne. I can think of at least two, maybe three times. I may add those in the chalk talk. They're just simple, incomplete passes on drives that really didn't matter. But – when 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 they put Justin Jefferson on Corey Ballantyne, it didn't look didn't look too big for him, did it? Like he kind of rise to the occasion, and it, it's literally the very first game since the suspension of Jair Alexander, and Corey Ballantyne goes out there and outperforms him. And it, do we think Corey Ballantyne's a better football player than Jair Alexander? Absolutely not. But I'm telling you, man, when you're hungry and you want it, and you're not worried about all the stupid stuff, you know what I mean, off to the side, man. It's amazing how you just play within this system. The only reason that Jair graded out as low as he did was because he got caught botting and being too aggressive, right? And some people go, I'd rather you be aggressive. Not me, not at the cornerback position. Play your coverage. Keep everything in front of you, man, you know? If you've got a single receiver side, right, and they're not they're not throwing a two-by-two two two set at you, like a two-by set on your side of the field, and you're in a some kind of a, a shell coverage with a cover three spinner or whatever it may be, if, if it's a two-by side, you've got to be cautious. If it's a trip side, you definitely got to be cautious. And Bunch tears this defense apart, the Bunch formation. So in those situations, play it safe, and that's where he's being most aggressive. If it's a if it's a trip's right, and obviously from the offense's perspective, Jair lines up on the left side of the field 99% of the time, unless he's following like the last game he played where he was absolute garbage. If you just got one receiver, yeah, be a little more aggressive because you can rebound. You can you okay if 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 you bot on an underneath, you can rebound and you're covering one guy. But when you got a a two or a three receiver passing concept on your side of the field and you're biting overly aggressive when you're supposed to be playing deep quarter or deep third, that's just a recipe for disaster. And that's what we've seen with Jair. You don't see that with Corey Valentine. He plays everything kind of mid, right? Five to seven off the ball, doesn't bite on the double move. Make sure he keeps everything in front of him. Good things happen. If you were to ask a quarterback, all right, you're going to go up against a corner here, and you could choose what style of corner you're going up against. You can go up with one who's going to be aggressive and give you three to four time, three to four opportunities a game to bot on a double move, or the guy who's just going to play back the entire time and keep everything in front of him. I guarantee you the quarterback's going, give me the aggressive guy. We might be able to hit an explosive. That triples your chances of scoring on that drive, and explosive plays are what offenses are gearing their entire passing uh, coordination around in the NFL. So, uh, Ballantyne, got a tippy cap. I hope Jair comes back this week and he's the old Jair. I really do. Um, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it's the elephant in the room. If you pull Corey Ballantyne back off the field and put Jai in and he's biting on double moves and playing 10 yards off the ball in a cover one man when everyone else is playing snug, that's a bad, bad look on this coaching staff. Bad look. So, again, I hope we get the old Jair back. But, Corey Ballantyne, great game there. Kobe Wooden, only 10 snaps, 72.3. That was good to see. Our boy Devontae Wyatt had a bounce-back game. This was awesome. Um, only 29 snaps, 
72.3. Tackle grade still horrible at 28.4. You see it all over the tape every single week. Anytime there's a run and play near Devontae Wyatt, he plays reckless and he just can't tackle well. Pass rush grade, it's it's becoming the norm for him, 77.2. He's a great pass rusher. Run defense, run fit, gap sound, all that, 55.5. Keyshawn Nixon, 72.3 was his grade. What did he do well? Coverage this week, 73.9. I don't, I don't recall a whole lot of man coverage. I'm making my second pass through the tape right now. I'll be able to give you guys a better idea on some of the plays I break down, whether it was man or zone or what have you. Um, Rob Domofsky sometimes tweets those numbers out too. So if you guys out there listening to the show, if you guys out there have already seen the numbers of how much man and zone they played, let me know. That's something that I don't chart individually because there's a lot of sources out there that does it for you. I'm more or less trying to key in on, okay, what was the specific call on the explosive play, whether it's offense or defense or a sack or a forced fumble or an interception, that type of stuff. Um, but pass rush grade for Keyshawn Nixon, obviously blitzed a couple times out of the slot, if I remember correctly, 76.1. That helps his grade a lot. Run defense, 68.5. Tackle grade, 66.9. I'll take that for a slot corner all day long, right? That's a big, big improvement. But coverage was, was nice, man, 73.9. Lucas Van Ness, man, he is steady Eddie. I'm telling you, 19 snaps, 65.6. What do we always say about rookies? If you grade out in the 60s as a rookie, it's a pretty good, pretty good floor to start with and, and usually, usually proves that, okay, this is going to be a solid player throughout his career, right? It's just like you come in the league and you perform at a 60, in the, especially the mid, mid to upper 60s like Lucas Van Ness uh, typically does. It's a good sign for him to be a good player moving forward. Tackle grade 72.4. Quay Walker, like we said, coming in at a 64.5. Got to see more from him. Um, again, if it wasn't for the pass rush grade, you know, and you guys are going, well, Clayton, you just praised Lucas Van Ness for 65.6 and, and scolded Quay Walker for 64.5. This is Quay Walker's second year in the system. And what are we seeing? We're seeing him hover right around that same grade. Next year, if Lucas Van Ness is grading out in the mid-60s, you're going to hear me criticize Lucas Van Ness because you take someone in the first round, especially like like LVN, you take him a little bit higher, you know, what number 13, whatever it was. I can't remember where Quay was. He was in the 20s, I believe. But still, you take him in the first round. Guys, that's supposed to be a really good starting player. We give them that rookie year. We're not that critical on this, on this pod. Like, okay, rookie year, get your feet under you, show us that you got a good base. Cool, got it. You got to take that next step the next year. And definitely by year three, and if you don't, you end up like Josh Myers, and it's like, what the heck are we doing here? This dude is not playing good football. So Carl Brooks only got 14 snaps, 59.8. Kenny Clark had maybe his worst game of the season. Think about that. We only gave up three points, and Kenny Clark had a bad game. 58.4, tackle grade 26.0, um, and then his pass rush, just like Devontae White, always a good pass rusher, 75.2. I'm still of the opinion we have got to keep swinging on defensive line. You know, uh, Philadelphia Eagles last year, had one of the best defensive lines in all of football, interior defensive line in all of football, right? Had a good rotation of guys, just solid play across the board. Very gap sound, very good at tackling. What did they do in the first round? They ensured they got another stud in the first round and taking Jalen Carter at the number 10 pick or number nine pick, maybe it was, right? You can never have too many good guys up front on defense. It's why defensive tackle, interior defensive line, notice I didn't say nose tackle. I said defensive tackle. What I like to when you hear me say defensive lineman, I'm referring to interior defensive lineman. And you need that three tech. A three tech, like Michael Lombardi says, everybody thinks they've got a three tech and nobody's got one. You know, it's just a handful of teams that's got one. A three tech meaning someone who can play 
close to the center, essentially a nose, do what a nose nose tackle does in a nickel defense, but also get after the quarterback from the interior, right? Good on both both aspects of defense, both run defense and pass defense, and uh, you know specifically pass rush and, and stopping the run. That's the type of guys that are what I refer to as a tier one position of importance at interior defensive line. Kenny's not been that. He just hasn't. I love Kenny. I love his demeanor. I think he's a leader of the locker room, all those things. He's a quiet leader. I really respect and appreciate that. And I think Kenny would be even better if we had someone next to him. That's why they went out and got Devontae Wyatt, right? Let's use another first-round pick on an interior defensive line to try to help Kenny out, okay? The problem with that is you keyed in on a guy who's an excellent pass rusher, but he's cheeks, been cheeks so far at run defense. So Devontae Wyatt's got to take another step next year. The 72.3 is nice, don't get me wrong. But, man, that tackle grade, they got to work on him with that. He's got to get better in the run game, and so does Kenny Clark. But uh, Darnell Savage, 53 snaps, 56.7. It's just a tough look for me. Uh, Eric Wilson, 52.5. Um, came in, you know, filled in like he always does. He had a, a pretty decent special teams grade. I think he may have even led the team, if I remember correctly. Carrington Ballantyne had another bad game, 51.9. But did he give up a touchdown, right? Do you remember a big, deep bomb that he gave up? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Now, people were going, well, if he didn't give up any big plays, Clayton, how did he grade out so so light? They're looking at the play very, very closely, right? If they're playing – if their assignment is playing seven yards off the ball and they throw an underneath curl, they're kind of grading him by how aggressive was he to get into the ball, seeing that it was just one receiver on his side of the field. Things like that kind of come into play, right? And, you know, PFF doesn't grade the plays uh, exactly or even very close to how coaching staffs grade the plays, but – it's it's similarly set up. It's the closest thing we have to that type of approach, right? Andy Herman does a good job of just grading players, positive play, negative play. He's got his own grading system. What I've noticed about Andy Herman's grades is most of the time they're pretty close with PFF. Like I said, he's got a whole different system. But when you look at the players that graded out high and players that graded out low, it's pretty uh, pretty consistent across the board with him. Uh, Kingsley and Ibarre, 24 snaps, 47.4. So, again, Preston uh, Preston Smith, Isaiah McDuffie, TJ Slayton. TJ Slayton, man, that, that's just I, – I just want him to pan out so bad, man. I want him to work out. I hope he continues to build off his game. Jonathan Owens had a good game. Like I said, Rashawn Gary had a good game. Corey Ballantyne, Kobe Wooden, Devontae Wyatt uh, outside of the tackling, and Keyshawn Nixon have one of his best games of the season. So, that's kind of your recap uh, PFF-wise from – the uh, defensive side of the ball. All right, let's go to the chat real quick. I'm going to keep those up there in case you want to continue looking at them. Um, yeah, first first thing I see in the chat here, Drew D said, like an Aaron Donald. Don't you wish they grew on trees, Drew? <laughs> it's, when you talk about the top of three, you know, one to three tech that we're, we're mentioning, Aaron Donald's the poster child for it, right? Jalen Carter has become kind of the new poster child. And, and that's where I'm like, we were picking 13. Man, just let me play devil's advocate for a minute. This is what I'm talking about, about Goody can be a little too conservative. We're picking 13th, okay? Lucas Van Ness is playing somewhere like, what, 15 to 25 snaps a game, okay? 
And has he been elite? Absolutely not. Let me ask you this. Hindsight being 2020, if you knew Jalen Carter was going to be the slam dunk that, by the way, everyone said he was hands down the best player in this draft. He just had a little bit of baggage coming in. Can they keep him straight, right? And it was like, well, let's put him next to, I think it was Jordan Davis, his former teammate from Georgia. Let's put him next to him in the interior. Remember, they took him the year before, and they had Fletcher Cox already on the on the team. That's what I mean by they're continuing to build that interior defensive line uh, room out, okay? So if the Packers had said, you know what, we're just three spots away from taking Jalen Carter, why don't we trade up and get him? And let's say they had to give up, a, you know, a second next year and a third that year up. Imagine Jalen Carter lined up next to Kenny Clark. Now, immediately people go, what about Devontae White? That's where I differ with a lot of fans. It's nothing against Devontae White, but my response is, what about Devontae White? You're, you're looking to improve your team any way necessary. Injuries happen, too. He's going to get his opportunities. And if he can outperform Jalen you know, Jalen Carter, after you traded up and took him, then guess what? I don't care if it's a fifth rounder. Put the best players on the field. I just – I hate that so many people put so much stock in. Well, he's a first-round pick. There's first-round busts every year. That's not a knock against Goody. It happens to every GM. I just – I'd like to see him sure up that position a little bit more. That and center are the two things that's really popping out to me here recently. And some some people are hearing that and go, Clayton, you said it for three years. I know, I know. I'm just telling you, it's getting <laughs> – it's getting confirmed over and over and over in my mind each week when I look at the tape, look at the PFF grades, and kind of break everything down. So I agree, though, Judy. I wish I wish Aaron Donald's grew on trees, man. He's a stud, absolute stud, monster. Doug in the chat says there's also looking, quote, off the ball, right, Clayton? Um, Val might lose his man, but his man might not get the ball, but Val gets downgraded, right? Ex- uh, yeah, exactly, talking about the grade, grading, absolutely. Absolutely. He may lose his man, but there's not a big play attached. There's a little bit of that, you know, now they do focus a little more on result driven grades than I think we all tend to uh, tend to acknowledge, you know, and here's the thing too, Doug, have you ever met any, any one employee at PFF that's graded plays? I haven't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we don't know their background, their history. They're great. Like Michael Lombardi said, I want to see the grades on the grader. People are like, what? Like, yeah. I want to see how accurate NFL personnel think that person is at PFF that's grading the player. This is where you're getting into the kind of the, okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. They could have anybody doing it. I've never met them. I do appreciate this, though. Pat McAfee used to take shots at PFF all the time. He had Chris Collinsworth on his show, I think it was last year. And Chris just started laughing because he was criticizing it and everything. Chris said, Pat, when you get some time, why don't you swing by our home offices and let's let us show you what we do. Pat hasn't complained at all about PFF since then. I'm not suggesting behind the scenes Pat went and visited them, but I think offline maybe he explained to him, like, here's all of – here's everything, all the man hours that go into watching the tape and grading these players. And Pat's silence says a lot to me. I'll just say that, okay? Again – PFF isn't perfect. Nothing is. Nothing is. I don't like to lean on stats. Stats is a result, a result of play, right? I want to know. It's stats or everything went right and this stat was allocated, or everything went wrong and this stat was allocated, rather than what was his assignment. People go, well, you'll never know their assignment exactly. Right. But, but as close as we can get to that information is what I'm seeking. 
And I feel like PFF does a pretty good job of that. Again, it's why we always throw the preface out there. It's not the tell-all end-all, right? It's like, hey, look, this, this isn't the Rosetta Stone, the gospel of football grading. But, man, it's a heck of a tool to have at our hands. It really is. There's a lot of man hours going into grading that stuff. So, uh, But, yeah, I agree with you there, Doug. Let's see. Drew D said, I wanted to take a chance on Jeffrey Simmons, who went number 19 overall in 2019 because of character issues. The character thing really, <clears throat> it really does come into play, man. You don't want to end up with an Antonio Brown on your team, right? Or uh, I'm just going to say it. It's like people were nervous about saying his name. I'm just going to say it. Right? Or a, uh, Aaron Hernandez. Same thing, right? He fell in the draft to like the third round or fourth round, whatever it was. You know why he fell so far? Because there was multiple incidents when he was in Florida of him getting in physical altercations with people. The writing was on the wall there, right? Now, some people say he was absolutely eat up with CTE. That's, to the best of my knowledge, that's been proven with his people studying his brain. That's a that's a hell of a tragedy. It really is, man. I hate that. I really do. Because it's like that stuff, CTE is, whoo, it is a different animal. But as a society, man, you got, you got to, You've got to judge people based off of their past experience, right? Like, okay, what, like the old Bill Parcells says, when someone shows you, when someone tells you or shows you who they are, believe them, right? He punched a rest, if I understood correctly, it was a diner or a restaurant or something. He punched the owner of it in the face and broke, broke bones in his face, like physically harmed this dude while he was in Florida. Tebow was the one who had to pull him out. He's running around with Tebow, Mr. Perfect. You know what I mean? That's, I don't think he's ever been, had any, Nobody's ever had anything negative to say about Tim Tebow as far as him getting into a physical altercation or cussing somebody out or, you know, you know, acting inappropriate in public. Right. And he's the one like he couldn't even keep Aaron Hernandez under control. That was a guy that came out with flags. Right, Drew. And the signs were always there. And the Patriots took a swing on him and he sold it to him. Good, man. Multiple video footage you know what I mean of him saying it's the Patriot way and I love it up here and I love their discipline and he stayed out of trouble long behold we find out later that behind the scenes he was you know one of the most evil people to ever play in the NFL again with CTE but that's as far as I'll take that conversation there I don't want to say anything inappropriate but yeah character issues make things it muddies the water you know that and it's like with Jalen Carter you know hindsight being 2020 playing devil's advocate for a minute if they trade up three spots and take Jalen Carter and he gets arrested in week six, I'm going, man, we shouldn't have done that, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So you just never know. It's just Goody never swings like that. And uh, maybe that's a blessing, right? It's just I, I know that that position is so important. You got to keep swinging until you find a stud. I believe that. I really do. So more so than center, really. But, uh, yeah, Doug says <laughs> McAfee isn't silent on much. Boy, that's a true statement right there, my man. True statement. Let's see. Uh, William in the chat says PFF doesn't tell you where the Packers think a player is in his development and his ability to develop. No, it doesn't. That's where you got to make your own judgment. They're not going to tell anybody any of that. They're not going to come out and go, let me tell you, this player right here in one year, he's going to be a stud. They're talking like that behind the scenes. And they're also talking about, I don't know about this guy. Probably need to get him out of here. And, you know, but yeah, they definitely don't do that, man. You're right. Who can? Can you, William? I know I can't. <laughs> I know I can't. Uh, let's see. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Doug in the chat says bad public behavior is is that exact. I can't even say it. It's a big word, man. You you smart people. Exacerbated, I believe is how you say it in Green Bay. Yeah, there's not much to do, right? As uh, 
as I think it was T.O. that said one time, we got to get that sound drop. He said, there ain't a damn thing to do in Green Bay. <laughs> I think that's what I love about it, man. That place has got my heart. I love the people. I just love everything about that small town field. Absolutely awesome. Uh, let's see. William in the chat says, Mike Wall uh, said he wasn't any good until his fourth year. Uh, what would PFF graded him on his first three? And should have should we have dumped him then? I don't think so. Is there a – well, let me ask you this. Let me back up now. Um, Mike Wall, right? On the show all the time, I put his opinion above mine times 1,000 because he's played it that. I know some people don't look at it that way, and they like to kind of, oh, God, what does he know? He knows more than you sitting on the couch, eating your Cheetos, pretending like you're, a, you know, a professor of football, okay? Anyone who's played one snap in the NFL, I'm taking his opinion over mine. That's just my personal. That's how I look at it. But he says, Mike Wall said he wasn't any good until his fourth year. What would PFF graded him on his first three? And should we have dumped him them? I don't think so. Let me ask you this, William. What did Mike Wall tell us several weeks ago, two weeks ago, about the offensive line? Elton Jenkins, Zach Tom, good to go. Everyone else is replaceable. See, let's go left tackle Rasheed Walker. It's year two, right? Mike Wall's saying he's replaceable, right? Center Josh Myers. What is it, year three now, I think? I believe it's year three. What's he saying? He's replaceable. Right guard, John Runyon. He's replaceable. So to answer your question, yeah, I think he would. Now, in his role. Now, if someone else, if one of those players turn it on in year four like Mike Wall, then they're going to pick up a stud, right? But you've got to go off what they're showing you right now. There's not a GM in the league that's going, all right, this guy has been hot garbage for three years, but maybe year four is the year. They're constantly, it doesn't matter what the position is, they're constantly looking for an upgrade at each position, right? Especially at the premier positions. But every position's on the table, I think, every single year. So, um, yeah, I, I think, I don't think Mike Wall is a big fan of PFF. I know he isn't, but, uh, most former players aren't, and that's why we get Mike Wall's take, who, like I said, I hold the highest regard for, and we get PFF's take. And then we can draw our own conclusions. The more information, the better. What you're not going to get here is people that are going to just pick one thing and go, okay, this proves my point this week. Here's what I'm going with. That drives me insane, i.e. the people that are going, Josh Myers is a good pass blocker. Uh, yeah, Josh Myers is a good pass blocker. Get off his back. And then when he has a bad pass blocking grade, you don't hear from him, right? Because they, they're too ego-driven to say, hey, I was wrong. I never want to be that guy, man. I'm wrong all the time. Like I say, I'm wrong all the time. If you don't believe me, ask Mandy. She'll be the first to confirm it. <laughs> so just a quick glance at the special teams, and we'll get out of here. Um, nothing really to write home about. Top of the list, Eric Wilson, 17 snaps. I think he had, yeah, the most special team snaps, that's where his value is. And, again, he, he he provides you a backup in a pinch at linebacker too. 73.5 special team grade. Bo Melton only had one snap. Got to kind of throw it out, 70.3. 13 snaps for Josiah DeGuara, 65.8. Kudos to, to Josiah DeGuara for giving us something he's contributing to the team, right? We dog him all the time on his offensive grades. You see it all over the tape, him whiffing on blocks. It sucks because you're not going to find a better man on the face of the earth. But – um, at least he is contributing in special teams for sure. Rudy Ford, 64.6. Everyone else was just kind of bad, to be honest with you. So, you know, I know O'Mara's talked about it all the time, about uh, 
about Rich Passaccia and how he feels like he's kind of overrated, right? Um, like, hey, look, we we really need to be looking there uh, as far as replacing special teams coordinator now. If you get a new DC, I think at a minimum you got to demote Rich Passaccia. Um, I'm not one of those that are saying fire Rich Passaccia. I think this is a West Coast team, and throughout the history of the game, this is not my opinion. This is other people who have been around the game. Bill Parcells was vocal about it. Michael Lombardi was vocal about it. When you look at the teams who have bad special teams, most of the time their head coach is from the West Coast offense coaching tree. And it's common knowledge across the league that West Coast offense top coaches and general managers, which that's exactly what Brian Gutekunst is. Ron Wolf came in from the West Coast offense, right? a team that was driven by the West Coast offense. He takes over as GM. He hires a West Coast offense head coach, right? And then when he steps down, eventually it gets to Ted Thompson, who studied under Ron Wolf with a West Coast offense-based roster, right? They're building the roster around a West Coast offense is what I'm getting at. And now you pass it on the Goody. He's doing the same thing. Historically speaking, that means you're going to have a bad special teams. So I'm not saying this is Rich Basaccia's fault. I think this is how the roster is built. Much like the run defense, the reason it's really hindered, it's not because of Joe Barry, in my opinion. It's because we're drafting a bunch of pass rushers because we want to stop the pass. Most cases, I would agree with that. But, man, when someone gashes you for 200 yards because guys can't stay in their run fit even though they've only got one gap responsibility or they're missing tackles, who else are you going to blame it on? You can't blame that on the D.C., I'm sorry. They can't prepare you any more than this is your gap. Bring that guy to the ground. <laughs> what else are they going to say to him to coach him, right? So I think that you're kind of getting some of that trickle-down effect, and I think you're getting that with special teams too. So what I was getting at is if you do change DCs, the only way you're going to get one of the best candidates, um, the people – basically you got you got the best de- defensive minds in the game are going to be applying for head coaching jobs. If those guys don't get the head coaching job, job then you've got to make sure that you at least appoint him to a assistant head coach. Rich Basaccia is assistant head coach. So at the minimum this year, in order to land one of the great bright minds as a defensive coordinator, if and when you replace Joe Barry, then you got to demote Rich Basaccia. And now with the understanding that, hey, if another team comes in and offers him assistant head coach, he's allowed to move. You can only block lateral moves not one that provides a promotion to the coach. So that's something that might happen. They may cut him loose. I doubt that. I think him and Matt are thick as thieves. I think they're, they they like the way they work together. And I think there's kind of a, a little bit of a common understanding that, hey, Goody's building this roster not to have a strong special teams, right? Bill Belichick builds it totally different. Now, some would say that's backfired. It's hard to disagree with that with the lack of success he's had here lately. Bill Parcells was very similar. Special teams was very important. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, let's see. Let's let's hit a few more chats here, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, I'll keep those special teams grades up for you guys in case you want to uh, look at them a little bit longer there. Um, let's see. Drew D in the chat says, I think a big reason we dominated is because with young quarterbacks, you want to jump up on them early, and that's exactly what we did. It definitely helps, but keep in mind, Green Bay went three and out right off the bat, remember? They went three and out, and then the defense forced them to go three and out. Imagine if Minnesota goes down the field and at least kicks a field goal and the defense doesn't get a stop there. 
that's a whole different ballgame, isn't it, Drew? So, so important to jump on them early. Now, luckily, I think it was the third possession we kicked the field goal, and then we were playing from playing from ahead the rest of the nine. So, very good point, though. Very good observation, Drew. Deadfish says, I'd like to hear what Mike Wall thought about Myers' performance this week. I'm eager to see it, too. Uh, stay tuned into his channel. He'll be breaking down the tape for sure. Uh, and you guys, make sure you subscribe to his. It, it just blows my mind that more people don't watch his channel. Like, as far as subs and views and all that, I'm like, this dude, he is so well-versed in how the game is played, especially in the trenches. Drew D in the chat said, when I watch the special teams, to me the eye test says average, and I'll take that. <laughs> we have a shot to block punts and kick returns, etc. I want to stand by Rich. Drew, I think people forget how bad the special teams were, right? It's still not great, but, again, I'm looking at globally going with the way the roster is being built from a West Coast-based general manager, West Coast offense-based general manager, People are still going, what do you mean by that, Clay? It means you're putting more value in how a player plays in the offense than maybe being a potential special teams player. That's what it means. Um, way more value in it. That's historically speaking. That could change tomorrow, though. So we'll see. Um, all right, G-Dog says Jair officially back now. Here we go, man. We're about to find out, ain't we, G-Dog? Let's see, if it's, uh, let's see if everything's straightened up. You know what I'd love to see with Jair? Him return this week. He's probably going to start, right? I mean, he's Jair Alexander. You're paying him. He's the highest paid corner in the game still, I believe. Uh, overall, you know, they adjusted the cap around to, to free up some some cap room this year. But I would like to see him come out this week and act like himself. Not the gyre that was saying, I guess we got to hold uh, offenses to zero points, or the gyre that was saying, put me on offense since they – basically since they're so bad, put me on offense. Or the guy that's coming out saying, we just got to run the call that's uh, – the play that's called. Or I don't talk to Matt LaFleur much. Not that guy. I want to see the old Jair, the one that Matt LaFleur was on NFL Films. They got a sideline, you know, of him pregame. He walked up, dapped up, hugged Jair. This was a few years. This was Matt's first year. He said, I want, I need you to bring that swag that you got today, right? Like he's giving him the freedom to be the player he wants to be. But when you start that stuff behind the scenes, man, tough. I want to see him come out this week, G-Dog, and just light it up, bro. 90 PFF grade, couple picks, couple big hits too. That's what I want to see from Jair. I hope it happens. I think we'll know real quick that uh, if he's going to be on the roster or not next year based off body language and how he performs and the things that he say. My guess is, too, they'll try to keep him from the media, and I think that's a good move for both Jair and the team. I think it is because uh, he's going to tell you what's on his mind. Jair's always been like that. Some people call him goofy or whatever. He's a clown. Get him out of here. I don't. I don't go that far, but I think he's – showing his true personality and um i think he got a little bit off the path this year that's that's kind of how i see it so again though i ain't gonna i ain't gonna sugarcoat a g-dog i hope that happens he comes out and balls out but part of me is a little bit nervous because you've seen what valentine and valentine did with the minnesota vikings with jordan addison and justin jefferson wasn't pretty but they kept everything in front of them and we held them three points before the muff punt ended up giving up 10 points and you know with the muff punt inside the 10 or whatever it was so um Hernandez Ford says secondary is going to be a big must this game. Completely agree. Um, the Chicago's cooking right now, man. They're they're kind of rolling along, playing the best football I've seen them play in a long time. Jair basically replaces Stokes. Um, not necessarily, Drew. Uh, you know, Stokes obviously missed last week too. Stokes is done. Oh, you're saying probably from a technical standpoint. I got you. You're probably saying, okay, he just, you know, where we put him on our, I got you. Um, who he's going to be replacing in the game if we continue to play him the way we played him all year is going to be Valentine. 
And remember Valentine's grade we just covered? Was a 73, 72, whatever. Jair comes out and grades out in the low 60s, and we get beat. Man, that's an ugly look on the coaches for for shaking it up, right? Randy in the chat says, Jod uh, just needs to play his game and quiet all the talk. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from, Randy. Um, the negative talk I want him to quiet. You know, Aaron Rodgers tried to get him to do that last year. You guys remember he, he kind of called Jair out yet last year uh, in an interview. It was actually a presser. I thought it was on the McAfee show, but it was actually a presser where he said uh, – you know, I love Jai, but we can't be speaking negative in this locker room. You know, you've got to – some people roll their eyes at that stuff like it doesn't matter. I personally believe it does. In my personal experience, you know, speak what you want. The more you speak it, the more you hear it, the more you believe it, the more it's the focal point in your life, you'll continue to go after that and uh, chase it down and try to be the best at that. That's just kind of kind of how I see it. You're programming your mind every day. People are going to cut the podcast off right now and go, I don't believe it. Okay, I got you. I'm just telling you. Auto-suggestion, all those things, some of the most successful people in the world suggest that, no pun intended. But, uh, yeah, I'm one of those weirdos that goes to sleep with uh, with positive affirmations playing in my earbuds and um, also, uh, you know, just uh, stuff that's going to subconsciously train me to be a better person, a more driven person, all that. I believe in that stuff. Um, that was Bible scripture. Bible scripture, man. It's amazing how you wake up the next day, pop that stuff in your earbuds, sleep with that all night, wake up the next day, and all of a sudden it's not about you. It's about trying to help other people, man. Um, and I need all that I can get because I'm a selfish prick, man. I try I try to be better every day. I got a long way to go. Long way to go. All right, a couple more. Uh, let's see here. She said, Murph, good to see you and your buddy. He says, I think this season uh, offense – Carried the back half of the season. Defense carried the front half for a young team. I can't complain. That's exactly what happened, Murph. Man, if the defense could have kept it together in the second half, this team would have been darn near unstoppable. But they were, as we like to say on here, second half of the season, the defense was cheeks, man. Uh, Doug in the chat said, I think Jair is truly a good person. I'd like the Packers to bring in Charles Woodson and have a chat with him. Woodson had, Woodson had a rough start in the league, but turned out as a Hall of Famer. You know, he had a rough start in Green Bay, too. He got into it with the coach like the first week. And – uh Basically, McCarthy threw him off the practice field, if I remember correctly, because he didn't want to be there. It was the only offer he got was Green Bay. And uh, I'll never forget, I think it was his agent that said they went to the coaching staff and said, listen, Charles is a Packer through and through. He Charles is, Charles is going to be a great Green Bay Packer. He just doesn't know it yet. I thought that was really cool. Talking about speaking things into existence, right? That guy was trying to cast that vision for the coaching staff. Don't give up on him. Um, but, uh, yeah. Reef said, plus keep all the media away from Jair. Yes, 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 please, please. And here's the thing, too. Keep Jair away from the media. You know, we, I, I'm as critical of the media as anyone, Reef. But when he shouted that out, I'm tired of being scolded for things I'm telling you, uh, saying to you guys. That was off the record, by the way. Like, they had already concluded the interview, and as he was walking away, he screamed that. And Jason Wildy said, with the PR director sitting right there in the room. So it was a shot at the PR director. So um, I agree, keep the media away from him, but also – Keep Jair away from the media, right? So there you go. All right, guys, we're out of here. We covered the PFF grades. I'm glad we stayed on topic. The chat was awesome. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Um, I'm going to get out of here. If I get home in time, we're going to do a show tonight, and then I'll get Chalk Talk ready. We'll do it as early as Good Morning Lambo tomorrow morning. There's a chance we could do Chalk Talk by tomorrow evening. The plan is on the ride up back home. I'm going to try to ride shotgun and get some of the footage put in a file while we're on the go 
So I'll have it uploaded when I get home and then maybe I can put it in the Telestrator, break down the tape, all that stuff. If not, then it'll be tomorrow morning, but we'll get that to you, to you guys as soon as possible. So that's it guys. Appreciate y'all hanging out with us. Thank y'all for, uh, for uh, making us a part of your morning here. Yeah, Drew, I'm so excited. Enjoy your bed tonight, bro. I'm telling you, man, last night was rough. It's amazing how you get out of your comfort zone, right? And uh, <laughs> I just – I woke up like four times last night. I was like, I can't wait to get in my bed. Oh, my gosh. Cannot wait. So, anyway, glad someone else knows what that's like too, man. Thank you all for hanging out with us. Uh, thank you for making us a part of your day. Uh, for those of you on the pod, appreciate you guys supporting the show like you always are, man. The numbers are way up. You guys are just phenomenal. I uh, really appreciate y'all taking the time, like I said, to listen to us. Uh, we don't take it lightly. So we're out of here. We'll see you uh, hopefully tonight. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.